Our first reading this morning will be from Isaiah chapter 65. Give you time to get to that if you choose, otherwise the words will be up on the screen. Isaiah 65, starting at verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, Here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. Now we'll jump to Romans, reading the end of chapter 9 and then through chapter 10. So Romans 9, beginning at verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one 
of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It doesn't matter so much what you believe, what matters is that you're true to what you believe. Does that idea sound familiar to you? It doesn't matter so much what you believe, what matters is that you're true to what you believe. We come across this idea pretty often in our culture. The details of what you believe, they don't really matter. What matters is that you're genuinely, authentically following your heart. So it doesn't matter so much what religion or what spirituality you have. It matters that you pursue it in a way that's meaningful to you. It doesn't matter whether your passion is not even religion, but a cause of some sort or a personal pursuit or a personal identity or some sort of individual expression of self. What matters is your passion, your zeal for it. And that's a a fairly common vibe that we get in our culture and one of the ways that this plays out is that you also get the vibe that you don't have the right to question the religion or the cause or the passion of another person if they authentically believe it and hold to it. In fact, if you're a religious person and and someone else is religious, even though you, you might belong to very different kind of religions, in the eyes of our culture, you're both pretty much the same. Because what matters is not the details of what you both believe. What matters is that you both believe something of a religious nature passionately. Now, if you get behind this cultural message that I'm talking about, what it's really saying is that more important than truth is being true to yourself. More important than truth is being true to yourself. So that's one message of our culture, one kind of vibe from our culture. But... There's another one that goes like this. It says it's not good to be too passionate about what you believe. It's good to be passionate. It's good to be zealous. As long as that zeal doesn't overflow out of your own personal private realm into the realm of others. You can only be zealous to the point that it impacts the lives of others and then you need to pull back from it. Now that's a fairly common, another fairly common vibe that you get in our culture. What you believe shouldn't really impact 
the lives of others around you, what they believe. Now, if we get behind this cultural message, what it's really saying is more important than truth is allowing me to be true to myself. More important than truth is allowing others to be true to themselves. What's interesting about, about this particular cultural message is that it's starting to change all around us in our culture. A casualty of, of decades of thinking about truth as your truth or my truth. It means that this idea of truth itself has become rubbery. Truth now has become more linked to volume rather than to quality of argument. And now it's becoming okay to be true to yourself in a way that actually does start to impact others and their truth. And to take steps not only to not listen to them, but to surround yourself with like-minded people and even to seek to cancel them out. Now it's becoming okay for me to hold my truth in a way that does impact your truth. As a whole, we've become far less vigorous with truth. We're more likely to hold to things being true, not because of careful reasons, but because of personal preferences, personalities, theories, ideas. But behind all these different ideas and, and clashes of ideas, there seems to be this common thread that the focus is, is not on truth, but on passion, on zeal. In all these approaches, truth is not the focus. And so it's not surprising that in these last few years, we're starting to see people believe remarkable things with great zeal. And it's not surprising that we're seeing many people not knowing what to believe at all. And this is a, a huge topic, and we're not going to delve into it in great detail today. What we're going to do is just touch on one very small aspect of this huge topic. Because what we see in our passage today is that it does agree that, that zeal is a great thing. But unlike our culture, it says that zeal is only a great thing if it's based on truth, on knowledge. Without truth, zeal is not a good thing. In fact, zeal can be a really tragic thing if it's not based on truth. One of the things we see today is that when it comes to being right with God, being okay with God, zeal is not the way it happens. Zeal or passion has got nothing to do with making us right with God. In fact, it's very possible to be passionate about God but not be in a right relationship with God at all. And this is countercultural for us. And even for, for Christians with our kind of subculture, this is countercultural. Sometimes as Christians, we, we value people's passion for God. And so we should, but the point is that we should only value it where it's based on knowledge. Look at how chapter 10 begins in Romans. Paul writes, in this letter, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. This is the first thing we see today. Righteousness doesn't come from zeal. It comes from knowledge that leads to faith. Being right with God comes from faith in Jesus, not from our passion. 
Now, do you notice the way that Paul starts this chapter here, chapter 10? Very similar to how he started the chapter last week in chapter 9. He's still addressing this issue of, of, of why it is that most of God's own people are not responding to Jesus. Last week was, was really confronting, uh, as Craig alluded to, but we saw that ultimately it, it comes down to God's choice. That's what it ultimately all boils down to. And this week, that's still true. It's still there in the background. But here Paul changes the focus a little bit. Now the issue is, but they're so passionate about God. They seem so genuine. How can they be passionate about God, the people of Israel, and yet have rejected Jesus? And Paul says it's because their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's not based on truth. Not everyone who's passionate about God is right with God. And it's very possible to be passionately wrong about how to be right with God. Look at verse 3. He writes, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now this isn't just an honest mistake that they've made. This is an unwillingness to do things God's way. They want to do it their way. It's kind of like the Israelites have been following a path that's always been leading to Jesus. But when they finally get to where it's going, they finally get to Jesus, it's like they stumble over him and then they just keep on going past him. It's kind of like they're on a road trip to Uluru. If you've ever done a road trip to Uluru, you know, they've taken the turn off to Uluru. They're on that road that really, let's be honest, it's really only there to get you to Uluru, that road. And it's a great road. It's a lovely road. But it's just a road. It's not worth going on an epic journey just to see the road itself. But the Israelites that Paul's talking about, they've got their eyes so focused on the road that they won't look up and see the giant rock that they're driving towards. And they don't even look up as they drive past the giant rock. They just sail on by it with their eyes fixed on the road itself. And if they're not careful, they're going to just keep heading west and into WA and into quarantine for the rest of their lives. (laughs) The point is, the journey to Uluru, it's not about the road, is it? Nobody does that journey for the road. It's about the rock. You can see it for kilometres. You can't miss it. And yet they missed it. They've missed Jesus, the rock. They've missed the point of the road, the law which they've been following. Paul makes it very clear where the law was leading them. Look at verse 4. He says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The law doesn't lead anyone to righteousness. The law absolutely, clearly, and finally, completely leads you to Christ. And it's faith in Christ that leads you to righteousness. A righteousness that's absolute, clear, final and complete because you don't earn it. It's given to you in Jesus. But they've missed this truth. And without this truth, their zeal just doesn't count for anything. They're passionately, tragically wrong. Paul captures the the tragedy of this back at the end of chapter 9 in verse 31. He says, 
But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Instead of the Lord pointing them to Jesus, they've missed the point and they're passionately pursuing being right with God in a faithless way, relying on their own works. Now, Kathy and I, we don't really fight that much as a couple, but very rarely, if, if we do, somehow before resolving things, it seems to involve me cleaning the house. Not because that's what she wants. I, I do it to myself. I think the logic goes like this. If I'm going to be an idiot... I may as well do something practical and useful to make up for it along the way. You know, I think I'm thinking, I'll try and appease things by working. But you know what? That approach just doesn't work. Because when there's something to be addressed in the relationship, some issue, it can't be overcome with a nice clean floor. I mean, it's not like anyone is ever going to say, well, the floors are sparkling, everything's okay now. It just doesn't work that way. But it's a bit like that with the Israelites. It's like they're fully committed to pursuing, fixing the relationship with God by cleaning the house. And they've cleaned almost 95% of the house. They're invested in this. So they're not too happy to hear someone saying that cleaning the house is not going to fix the relationship. Whereas the non-Jews in the house next door, they haven't even started cleaning the house. They're like a a group of young bachelors who didn't even realise that you were supposed to clean houses. I mean, they think cleaning the toilet is flushing it occasionally. And so when they hear, no, no, it's, it's a lot harder than that. It's so hard you can't even do it. But when they hear, but if you trust in Jesus, it's already done for you. Everything you need to be righteous has already been done. They weren't pursuing that righteousness, but now they want it. And they are the ones who end up getting it. Whereas the ones who were pursuing it, they're blocking their ears at this point saying, I've got one more bathroom to do and then I'm done. And you're trying to tell me that that's all been in vain and that I didn't do a good enough job anyway. That's a lot harder to accept, isn't it? But God says, the law leads you to Christ, not to righteousness. Christ alone can lead you to righteousness and it's a free gift received by having faith in him and it's a righteousness that's for anyone who believes anyone but without this knowledge without this truth you can have all the passion and authenticity that you like but it won't make you right with God all the passion you want all the genuineness you want but it won't make you right with God now that's countercultural, isn't it? It's tragic that people can be passionate, genuine, authentic, and yet be passionately wrong. And in our hearts, we, we can think, and I reckon we do think, why can't God just accept them for their passion? Why can't He just do that? But since when have relationships worked that way? Even human relationships don't work that way. And they'd be pretty twisted if they did. Tell me, does zeal equal relationship? If a young man is passionate for a woman, does his zeal equal relationship? You know, he gives her attention and she doesn't respond. 
So he works harder and harder to impress her. But she's unimpressed because she finds him self-centered. She finds that he doesn't listen. She finds that he's bullheaded. But in his passion, his zeal, he goes to extreme lengths. He buys flowers, chocolates. And he turns up at midnight outside her window with a string quartet. And he sings Disney songs to her. Will his hard work, his zeal, be rewarded? Probably. Probably with a visit from the police and hopefully a restraining order. Zeal without knowledge never equals relationship. It's twisted. And God has made this known, this knowledge. He's made it known clearly that the only way to have relationship with him is by giving up working for our own righteousness and instead having faith in Jesus. He has made that known clearly, that knowledge. And this is true not just for Israelites. It's true for many people that they're not really listening to what God has made known clearly. What God says is the right way to know him. But in our chapter today, Paul's focus here is particularly on the Israelites of his day. And the reality is that many of them just couldn't accept this way of relating to God. Because they weren't expecting it. And so the question becomes, was it too unexpected? Was it so unexpected that it's actually obscure and inaccessible to people? And so in this next section, Paul says, no, it's, it's not that at all. It's not because it's too difficult for people that people won't receive it. And this is the second thing we see. The truth is that righteousness by faith is easily accessible to all of us. Righteousness by faith, it's easy to understand. It's easy to know about and it's easy to do. Righteousness by observing the law is difficult. You know, what we read there was that righteousness by observing the law goes by this motto, verse 5. It says, the person who does these things We'll live by them, live by the law, keep the law. Yes, you'll be righteous, but you've got to keep all the law all the time. That's incredibly hard. In fact, it's just not possible for sinful people to be righteous by the law. But righteousness by faith in Jesus is very different. It's not complicated. It's not hidden. Even a child can understand it. Even a child can do it. And anybody can immediately access it at any time and be completely righteous in God's eyes. Look at what Paul says is is the motto of righteousness by faith in Jesus. Look at verse 6. This is its motto. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, in these verses, Paul is saying that righteousness by faith is really easy to take hold of, really easy to understand. But the irony is that that the way he says this is a bit hard for us to understand. Probably the reason is because we don't know our Old Testaments as well as they did and maybe as well as we should. But his point here is that we don't need to do what Christ has already done. He quotes Deuteronomy, which is all about how God makes the law readily accessible to them. The law is clear. They they don't have to do the impossible to know what God wants from them. The problem was never the knowing. It was always the doing. But now 
Paul applies this same principle to Christ, the culmination of the law. And his point is that it's even more true now that Christ has come. Righteousness by faith is clear and accessible. You don't have to do the impossible to know how to be righteous with God. In fact, trying to be righteous with God outside of Jesus is like trying to climb up to heaven and drag down your own Messiah to reveal God to you. Now that's impossible. And it's arrogant, especially when he's already come. And trying to be righteous apart from faith in Jesus is like trying to dig yourself down into death in order to raise up your own Messiah. Impossible. And arrogant, especially when Jesus has already cried out on the cross, it is finished. Everything has already been finished to make us righteous with God. And so Paul tells us what righteousness by faith in Jesus says instead. Its motto in verse 8 goes like this. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And then he explains what this means. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you want to know exactly how to be right with God? Do you want to know exactly how to be saved? Well, the way is very near you. God tells you all it takes is faith in Jesus. Faith in that moves you to say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my Lord. Faith that moves your heart to believe, yes, God did raise him from the dead. Now that's not complicated and that's not hard. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, nothing matters except faith that moves our mouths to say that and our hearts to believe that. Paul says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not hard for us to be saved. It was hard for God. It was costly for Jesus. But for us, it's simply a matter of receiving by faith what has already been finished. So have you ever done that? Have you ever said with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Have you ever said in your heart, I believe God raised him from the dead? If you haven't, why not? You can't say you don't know what you need to do. You can't say it's too hard or complicated because it's just not. The ball is in your court and no response is still a response. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. We assume that it really must be hard to be right with God. But the way that God has designed things, it's the complete opposite. In fact, in the last part of this chapter, Paul shows the very simple way that God has designed things. This is our last point. Faith comes from hearing God's message. That's how he's designed things. Faith comes from hearing God's message. Look at how God has designed things in verse 14. Paul writes, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one 
of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you work backwards here, you see the simple way that God has designed things. God sends people to speak about Jesus, to speak the message about Jesus. People need to hear the message about Jesus. Having heard the message spoken, people need to believe the message. And having believed... They need to respond and call on God. Paul summarizes this in in verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the simple way that God has decided to work in the world. People need to hear that Jesus died and and came back to life. And so right now he is Lord and he is Savior. And by having faith in him, they can be right with God. It's simple. It feels too simple, too basic. And yet God is happy through this simple message to save people as they believe. God's happy to reveal himself in Jesus dying on the cross in our place. He's happy to say that in the shame of the cross, he's making a way that we will never be put to shame. It, it is a simple message, but it's, it's not a basic message. It's deep. It reveals the very character of God And it's life-changing. A simple message broadcast in a simple way. And yet by this message, people come to be right with God. Saved for all eternity. As they hear it and believe it. And Paul's point is that the reason the Israelites haven't responded is not because there's a problem with a message. Or not because there's a problem with the broadcasting of the message either. Look at verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. The problem isn't that they haven't heard or understood. We see the problem in verse 21. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God holds out his hands. They hear, they understand. But they don't want what God is offering. They don't want it. Now that's them. That's their issue. But as Paul speaks, you can tell that he's talking about how God works with everyone. God is still broadcasting the same simple message to our world. And he's still doing it in the same simple way. He's still saying Jesus' death and resurrection show that he's Lord and Saviour. He's still saying the right way to respond to him is in faith. And he's still taking that message to the world as he sends us. We're involved in this. Our job is to broadcast to everyone we can that the way to be saved is actually already incredibly close to them. It's not hard. It's not complex. All it takes is admitting that Jesus is Lord and believing that God has raised him from the dead. Our job is is to help people know this, but whether they respond or not, it's not our job. We do everything we can to help them hear and help them understand, but the outcome is not ours. That's between them and God. Sometimes we overcomplicate telling people about Jesus. Uh, Maybe it is that we really do try to own the outcomes. 
Sometimes we get paralysed from speaking, you know, maybe because we're afraid of what people will think of us. But at other times, it's because we lack the confidence that we can convince them. We're sort of waiting for all the, the stars to align for a perfect moment to speak about Jesus when everything will fall into place. But that's not the simple way that God works. We have a simple message, God's message. We have a simple way of sharing it, God's way. We just start talking about who Jesus is and what he's done and we leave the rest up to him. You might have noticed that our vision as a church has changed slightly. We were loving God, loving God's people, loving Adelaide's north, but we've changed it to be loving God, loving God's people, leading people to Jesus. That's what we want to be as a whole church, but it's what we want each individual one of us to be on about as well. And leading people to Jesus means speaking to people about Jesus. It means helping them hear and understand God's simple message about Jesus. And then what they do with that is between them and God. In 2022, next year, you're going to notice that we're going to be trying to help each other more and more be on about this simple mission that God has given us to take the message of Jesus to the world, starting with those around us, friends, family, workmates, neighbours. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But one of the simplest ways is just to invite people along to hear the simple message. Next week, we've got Christmas carols, as I was telling the kids before. It's a simple way that any of us can straight away get involved in what God's doing. But more and more, we want to be a church that helps each other lead people to Jesus. Because the tragic truth is that it doesn't matter how passionate or genuine people are. It doesn't matter how zealous they are, how much they pursue religion or good causes. If they won't relate to God in the way that He has made clearly known that He wants to be related to, then they're not right with Him. But on the flip side, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have made yourself clearly, powerfully and, and beautifully known in Jesus. In his suffering and his death on the cross in our place. You've revealed your heart, your character, your justice and above all your mercy. Lord, help us to see this clearly. To be able to admit with our mouths to others that Jesus is my Lord. To be able to know in our hearts that you really did raise him from the dead. Lord, we thank you that salvation is so close to us, so accessible because of Jesus. Lord, help us not to hold it close only, but also to hold it out to others. To see that your simple message and your simple way of working in this world really does bring people to salvation, change lives and bring about a new world that you are doing through Jesus. Lord, help us to have confidence in you and the way you work, now and always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Youth can head out to their